polyamory is one of the types of consensual non-monogamy. Um, personally, I'm for a long time, I haven't really been polyamorous, but for many, for all of my adult life, I've been non-monogamous. What else is in the umbrella? Swinging. Swinging. Very different in key ways from polyamory. <laughs> um, an open relationship. Oh, well, there's don't ask, don't tell. Cuckolding is Cuck another. Cuckolding. Okay. So let's break it down. Consensual mm -hmm. means everyone's consenting. Yes. There's nothing being hidden. Right. There's no lying. Mm -hmm. There's, I'm imagining open communication, unless possibly it's in the don't ask, don't tell right. category. Yeah. I like to believe healthy relationships have very open and authentic mm -hmm. communication. Mm -hmm. I've always kind of liked the idea of a don't ask, don't tell policy, but mm -hmm. I don't think it works. It can work for, for certain yeah. couples. I, I wouldn't want to hide or keep secrets or, but you know, if I have, like, I, I'm thinking of a couple right now and it seems to work for them. And you know, it's, it's not, it's, if it works for them and they're both genuinely fulfilled and happy with it, then. Hey everyone, today's podcast is really fun. We talk about sex and we talk about a lot of different aspects of sex and what it means and relationships and how we relate via sex and how sometimes sex can be a way to escape or create a container for us to continue patterns. This episode may have some parts you disagree with. It may have some parts you agree with. We cover a wide scope of topics here and it is a very interesting conversation for me. I've always found relationships to be one of the number one ways that I grow. In fact, that's how I first started practicing personal sovereignty was in relationships, learning what boundaries are, learning to say no. So we go into these topics today with Kristen. It's really fun. Hope you enjoy it. Real quick, let's talk about freedom. What does freedom mean to you? When you look at your life, are you able to wake up in the morning whenever you want? Are you able to go anywhere you want to spend the day or the week or the year? Does the work that you spend your time doing satisfy you at the end of the day? Are you living the life that you want to live. I started a podcast about sovereignty because I wanted to feel like I was in more control of my life. What I learned is that the quickest path to complete autonomy over your life is to start a brand and become a creator. This might sound silly, but I'm not saying become an influencer. I'm saying start creating content, put it out there, attract people to your ideas, to your insights. And with time, you can turn that into a business that can sustain you not only financially, but emotionally, spiritually, and professionally. As a creator, you can spend your time doing what you love, where you love. Your routine and lifestyle are yours to control. This is a process that takes time, which is why my creator journey has led me to offering the Creator Sovereignty Genesis Cohort. This is a 90-day program where we dive into you. You learn to make content, edit video, write, make a website, start a newsletter, all the things necessary to start a creator brand. Put yourself out there and start discovering your self-worth and the value that you can offer to the world. This 90-day program is a supportive group experience. We practice getting vulnerable on camera together. We explore what it means to start a business and start believing in the things we sell. This is what got me here right now, believing in this product. I've never before sold anything in my life before starting this creator journey. So if this sounds like something you could be interested in, it is a great experience to drop the ego and start exploring who you can be out there. Check out creatorsovereignty.com to learn more. You can fill out the sign up form and we can have a call to see if it's a good fit. 
creatorsovereignty.com. This show is brought to you by Kapi Hawaii. A few months ago, when this company approached me and said, we'd like to sponsor your podcast, I was ecstatic. I had worked with Kapi in a different form. It's a brew down in the Amazon. You go do ceremonies with shamans. And I had some really profound changes happen in my life. I recognized I was not taking responsibility for myself in deep, troublesome moments. And I would always find a reason to victimize myself, anything to feel bad. And this was a habit I had grown up with. The copy vine at very large doses made me recognize this in just one evening. At microdosing levels, you can expect to gain better clarity over yourself and create more space in the moment between reaction and response. And to subtly enhance the focus you have in your everyday life, whether that's being present with your children, being creative, working on your business, whatever it might be. It is a very special and sacred plant that humans have used for tens of thousands of years. I'm actually very excited to see it being used more globally now in different ways, including this microdosing gummy. You can get them at copyhawaii.com. It's all locally grown on the big island of Hawaii, organically processed. It's FDA approved. It's not psycho active it's non-impairing it's very subtle but very profound and there is no other product i would actually want to have sponsored this show so i'm actually very honored for it to be the show sponsor i generally give it to guests before our real life episodes so check out copyhawaii.com and you can get 15 off your first purchase with promo code jordan copyhawaii.com c-a-a-p-i-h-a-w-a-i-i.com if this product sounds interesting to you, this is a great way to support this show by checking it out. And I do not think you'll be disappointed either by these microdosing lozenges. Sovereign States of Mind. Hi, and welcome back to Sovereign States of Mind. Thanks for joining me today, Kristen. Thank you so much for having me. I have been wanting to have this conversation since before I started the podcast because mm -hmm. it's always been a topic close to my heart. Mm -hmm. Sexual sovereignty. Yay. Uh, in fact, this was one of the contexts like that I first started understanding sovereignty mm -hmm. was through sex. Wow, beautiful. <laughs> yeah. So it's kind of an important topic and it's kind of funny to me that it took 20 episodes to finally do it. I mean, we did one before, but it didn't mm -hmm. work out. Mm -hmm. This one is really going to be it. So let's mm -hmm. talk about sex. Nice. So first off, could you share what your work is and you work with people in this realm? Sure. Yeah. So um, I'm a sexuality and relationship coach. And um, I have a master's of education in human sexuality. Um, I also uh, support people with um, sacred sexuality, um, sexual practices, things like that. Um, uh, a lot of what I do nowadays is work with individuals or couples in one hour sessions on Zoom or on the phone. Um, I also have workshops and classes that I've created, but I haven't taught those for a while. And this is all in the realm of sex. Sexuality. Sexuality. Yes. Which yes. isn't always sex. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So what does sexual sovereignty mean to you? Mm. Oh, well, um, sexual sovereignty is, uh, being able to be free and authentic, um, liberated. Um, it means knowing what's right for you, what you need, what you don't want, and being able to voice that, make it happen or not happen. Um, 
you know, it feels in the body kind of expansive and open. Um, and a lot of, I think what's blocking people from sexual sovereignty is just all the, what we call sexual scripts, Mm -hmm. like a movie script, you know, this is your role. That's your role. And here are the little boxes that you're supposed to fit into. And um, just tons and tons of programming that people have gotten around sexuality. So a lot of sexual sovereignty is digging down beneath the layers of programming to discover your own authentic sexuality and then operating from that place. And these layers they're thick. Yes. They can run thick. Oh, yes. And as we were talking about the beats the other day, I forget what it was you mentioned about mm-hmm. kind of like, a, I guess, a generalization of a lot of like men and mm-hmm. like, and I was like, I don't think so. I think mm-hmm. we're more vulnerable than that. And you're like, mm-hmm. no, I work with people. You'd be surprised. Mm-hmm. And these layers run so deep that we yeah. don't even recognize them. Yes. I feel like in Pune, men are a lot more supported here in being vulnerable Mm -hmm. and being their full human selves. And appreciated for it. Yes, encouraged, celebrated, whereas so many men in our culture and worldwide feel so (sighs) much pressure to not be vulnerable, not ask for help, not, and all this talk of performance, which is just a terrible word. Oh yeah, and I was like, that's my wife. I don't care about the performance. (laughs) Yes, good, I'm happy for you. I do for her. Sure. I care about it for her sake. Well, and just getting away from this word performance, you know, men do not need to perform sexually. As if it's an act. Yeah. It's like, you don't need, you know, you just, it's more just about connect connection with yourself and the other person in each moment. And, and that's all that you need to do, you know, and it can be whatever it is. Yeah. There's no expectations ever. Yeah. And I cannot, tell you. I mean, maybe I can, maybe I'll try the years and years and years of not understanding that Mm. and how it kind of created trauma for me, Ah. like a traumatizing situations. Mm -hmm. I put myself in situations. I look like I'm only recently able to look back and like with peace because I always just hide from, I can't believe I did that. Mm. Or I can't believe Mm -hmm. like you mentioned earlier, voicing when it's a no. Yes. That's the thing too, Jordan, that a lot of people don't understand. You know, it's hard for women to say no, because people who've been socialized as female have gotten a ton of programming that sex is for the man. It's about the penis, you know, successful sex is like if the guy comes, whereas (laughs) men, you know, so they, they're, so women have a hard time saying no, because we've been so conditioned to like serve the penis (laughs) and men actually also have a hard time saying no because men are supposed to want sex and they're you know supposed to be it's like a the with the good red-blooded american male thing it's like you're supposed to have as much sex as you can and you know it's like so so they're yeah. not even it's not even like a thing that men think of that they can say no because they're not supposed to want to say no so everybody could really benefit from learning how to say no i remember after years and years of just like i guess blockages in the realm of sexual connection i finally like put myself in the situations and the countries where the cultures were a bit more open and available Mm. to it and finally realizing like wait a minute I don't actually want all this. It's yeah. not good for me. Wow. It's affecting my health. Oh wow. I'm not focusing on what's important. Yes. And yeah. there's plenty of there's plenty of topics to dive in there though, but that's when I first realized the 
I need to learn how to say no. Mm. That's like, that was it. And wow. like, I was yeah. putting myself out there with this identity that like, yeah, any, if you're horny girls, you know, mm. you, you know who to come to. <laughs> and that was not, uh, I actually just re-released my book. Mm. It's called X Backpackers of Bangkok. Oh, cool. It's about my year teaching English in Thailand. Oh. And it's all about my hedonism and everything mm -hmm. there. And mm -hmm. I explain how I'm not going to like victimize myself and say I was raped, but mm -hmm. I put myself in a situation where I was like blacked out unconscious. <sighs> and fortunately it was a friend that I knew mm -hmm. like love and cared for me, but like we got into sexual relationships that I didn't want or consent uh, to. Yeah. I don't blame her at all. Mm -hmm. And this is a, un my unique <laughs> case, of course, but that's just the identity I put out. That's sure. like who I was. Yes. And like, yeah. When I'm doing that, what, what should I expect? Yeah. And so that was yeah. a big eye opener for me. Yeah. Realizing how much just like, you know, karma I'm attracting mm. to myself. Like. Mm. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. I've, I've, uh, I worked with someone one time who was kind of that way, just always talking about meaningless sex with women and like, oh yeah, we did this, we did that. Yeah. She was like half awake and I was just like, Oof sort of, you know, and I was much younger at the time and probably should have been a little bit more, um, uh, maybe a little more, <laughs> uh, firm or something, but I was, I also really, really want to be gentle with people so that they feel safe. And, but, but anyway, it was the same experience for him where he was just like, um, then he had an experience where that happened to him mm -hmm. and it was really eye opening. And he also had some awareness that it wasn't healthy. It wasn't good. But, um, I think that was what the other person just expected they were supposed to do literally like, because again, women have this programming logo. You're supposed to just, you know, do what they want. And if you are talking like that, then it kind of seems like that's what you want. And it, it wasn't, it wasn't a, a good experience for him either. Do you know Nick, Nick Moore yeah. in the community? He came on uh, a while back and oh, cool. in his book, he talks about how his first love, his first girl, like real girlfriend, like he raped. Oh, it was unconsensual wow. sex. Wow. And he has been processing through that a long time. And mm -hmm. finally with this mm -hmm. book, it's like his public proclamation of it. Yeah. And it's not rape in the sense of like, you know, alleyway violence, but it's, it's not consensual. It was not consensual. Yeah. And, um, I think that's something a lot of men either are still learning to process and face yeah. in their past, like, uh, or they're still hiding from it. Yeah. I hid from it for a long time. I mean, I never was in that situation, but on the other side of it, of just mm. not practicing those boundaries and that comes yeah. like sovereignty works both ways. Like yeah. you honor mine, I honor yours yeah. and I can only honor yours by me practicing mine. Totally. And yeah. so it, it works all over the field. And that's just kind of like when you're in, in that field of mm -hmm. people not practicing that personal sovereignty in that space, then those are the people you interact with. Yeah. And we're just creating more and more, I guess, traumatic situations for ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. And I have to say most rape isn't the alleyway type rape. Most rape is um, people who know each other, maybe mm -hmm. on a date, et cetera. Um, and, you know, I've also done a lot of work with teenage boys, teenagers in general. Um, I also did, and I did like a, a two day, um, I was asked to teach something at the Hawaii Tantra festival many years ago for the teens. And just, you know, in my work with the kids, I, I see how easy it is for, you know, people who are socialized as male to, um, 
violate women, like to be like, like women are programmed to be violated and boys and men are programmed to violate women. And there are so many men, so many good men who have unintentionally violated women. So many good men who have even really raped women. And it's, you know, the more that men can learn about consent and women can learn about consent. Uh, and the more that, that women are finding their voice and men are grounding in with what it really means to, to get consent and things like that, the less trauma will be creating. And fortunately we see a trend towards that. Absolutely. Yes. Very thankful. You know, the, um, the younger generations are growing up in a world that is a little bit, um, uh, more aware Mm -hmm. of these issues. And, um, I know in my, just my own personal life and my guy friends and stuff, as they've gotten older, same as what you explained, what Nick's experiences, it's just, you just get more understanding and awareness and we can pass that on as well to, to others. Yeah. I I always imagine like when my kids are older of, Mm -hmm. you know, teenagers, like what's what's the climate going to be like? Mm. You know, how's my son going to come into yeah. the section, especially around here? Yeah. We're still living around yeah. here. Like what's yeah. that going to be like? Yeah. Cause when I know I was, I was blocked off from any sexual activity as a kid. Mm. I was a pastor's child. Oh, me too. And yeah, all, all the love to my parents, you know, they were going through what yes. they were going through, mm-hmm. and, you know, but I thought sex was wrong mm-hmm. forever. Right. And then I thought, you know, sex is only about pleasing the man. Mm-hmm. And th- I guess that's part of the same programming here, but I thought yeah. that's why it was wrong. Oh. Uh, because it's essentially, I didn't think it was, I never thought about the woman's experience mm-hmm. or the other person's experience. Mm-hmm. It was just like that. You're not supposed to want that. Right. And uh, I remember I was <laughs> smoking a joint with my friend. We were like 19 or something. And I was like, I had a, I had a girlfriend at the time that was like really trying to like push me forward. Like, mm, come on, let's do mm, something. Mm-hmm. And I was talking to him about it and I, I forget what it was, but I finally realized that night sex feels good for both people. Wow. It was like dramatic. <laughs> it was just this dramatic thing. Yeah. Yes, Imagine exactly. if I learned that at like 12 years old right. and had been yes. again nurturing that relationship. Yes. Imagine the pain I could have avoided yeah. in my twenties. Yeah. Well, and also even, you know, whatever, age your children are, you can start teaching them now. So for example, um, you know, if, um, maybe you've heard the example of like, if somebody wants to hug your kid and you can tell your kid's not really wanting a hug or, you know, that auntie who gives those sloppy kisses and maybe they don't really like those, you know, um, letting your kid know, Oh, Hey, are you not wanting a hug right now? Do you want to do a high five or, you know, letting your kid know both genders, all genders. Um, and letting um, them know you can say no. Exactly. Like it's your body and you get to choose what happens to it or not. What do you want? Teaching them from a young age to notice what they want and what they don't want. Um, and you know, also like if, if they're playing a lot of times, um, you know, I was an elementary school teacher for many years and we, we let boys get away with a lot. And by we, I mean our society that if we gave them a little bit more guidance, um, it, it would help (laughs) all of us in the long run, you know, this idea of boys will be boys. And, you know, if a, if a boy is, 
you know, likes a girl and he's being mean to her because of it, giving him the tools to not be mean, you know, to like in liking her, but instead, you know, other options for how to interact or kind of express that or connect. And also like, you know, if, you know, if you see your son um, or daughter, um, you know, like tickling or harassing or doing something to another kid that the other kid is especially something to their body that the other kid's really not into saying, no, I'm, I'm noticing that they're not really comfortable with this. Are you noticing that? I think that we need to stop, you know, things like that. Mm-hmm. So I had Nandy Lovejoy on a few episodes ago. Mm-hmm. She's uh, oh, yeah. preschool. Th- yeah. And yeah. the strongest thing we can do mm-hmm. is sh- demonstrate the boundaries by practicing with the kids, mm-hmm. our own boundaries. For sure. Saying, no, I don't yes. want to hold you right now. Yeah. Or no, I yeah. don't want this right now. Mm-hmm. And we teach our kids to say, I want space. I need some space yeah. right now. Yeah. And I hear my little one and a half year old say that when my when my three year old is being a little too aggressive to play. I want space. I want Good. space. And it's great to hear that. Wow. And I, yeah. Yeah. And so I'm I'm yeah, I have mm-hmm. high hopes for that kind of uh yeah. early I don't want to say programming, it has that negative connotation, but just that Mm -hmm. the early training of like, Hey, Mm -hmm. have boundaries. Yeah. Own your, own your, own yourself and and don't take shit. Yes. Do no harm, take no shit. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that's yeah. Hugely important on the child realm. And yeah, I think as the consciousness just kind of trends in that direction, I think we are going to see more and more of the new generations the next generation, at least, coming in with some more gentleness around it. Or maybe I'm yeah. biased because of where we live. And well, I, <laughs> I do think we're pretty blessed to, <laughs> to be in a place where people are you know, into communication and authenticity. And, and, um, it is more, I think it is more sexually liberated here. I actually find Puna to be on the conservative side compared to me, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but I think for a lot of society, it's probably quite liberal. So by conservative side, what what do you mean by that? Um, sexually? Well, like as far as being people being queer, people mm. being outside of gender boxes. People are really conservative. Um, really yeah. That, yeah. And also uh, monogamy. Um, you know, people think of Puna as being super poly friendly or whatever. But in my experience, it's not. no. <laughs> In no. fact, everyone's really awkward and cringy about yeah. it. Yeah. And I think a lot of that is because there are, you know, people who are saying they're doing polyamory, which is they actually don't know what they're doing. They're not skillful. And I would call it more polyfuckery. That's what polyfuckery. Yeah. yeah. And I want to take back what I said. I don't mean everyone. I actually mm-hmm. have met very conscious couples and individuals. Sure. So I don't, yes. I don't want to say that. Yes. But um let's talk about that. That, that was something we want to talk about, non-consensual monogamy. So a little background on me. Uh ever since I was in like my very first serious relationship, I discovered that I don't want to be feel limited. Mm-hmm. I want to experience the love of yeah. companionship and mm-hmm. all that, mm-hmm. but I don't want to feel limited to like exploring others. Yeah. And at the time I didn't know just how sacred I am capable of making sex. Mm. Um, and that took a long time to work on too. But at the time I didn't know, I, and I was young, I was like, I want to explore, you know, mm-hmm. who doesn't? Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I, I never became the the guy that fucks everyone. I put it out there, well, especially mm-hmm. while I lived in Thailand. Mm-hmm. But 
I was never the initiator. Mm. I would be there. I'd make the space. I can be comfortable. But like, if mm. I didn't get signs from her, I'm out. Mm. I never had the confidence. Mm. And so I read uh, Neil Strauss's book, The Game, recently. Okay. Have you read oh, that? No. The pickup art, pick <laughs> artist community. <laughs> yeah. It's really not even about picking up girls as much as it, it's about like the social the social confidence aspect of just well, being able to walk up and well, talk to good. anyone yeah. create conversations the yeah. psychology of it's how we interact of, of all the millions of numbers that guy's probably got at the bars he's called you know he's mm. had sex with a fraction of the people just mm. because it's not really about mm. the sex it's about okay. just like i can go talk to anyone mm. and get their number yeah you mm -hmm. know so anyway yeah um side side topic but mm. so had this relationship and didn't realize like what I was really after is something healthy mm -hmm. where I can be free to explore and still have like my companionship at home. Mm -hmm. And that's something I just shelved mm -hmm. and I didn't really have any serious relationships after that for a long time mm -hmm. until, until yeah, it's for a long time. Mm -hmm. And because I realized like this isn't what, women want mm. and I didn't mm. know that there were frameworks for it and so mm. I learned about polyamory I learned about polyamory from my parents funny mm. enough mm. but I learned about it and I remember my dad taking me out to lunch once he goes look Jordan at the end of the day monogamy is kind of bullshit mm. uh, wow. and this is a man that's been married <laughs> since he was like 22 and a or minister something. yeah cool. and he, minister. he wasn't a minister at the time okay you know, that was over by then okay uh, but yeah, so my parents have always had, I don't want to call them progressive beliefs, but they've been very progressive about, mm -hmm. about relationships and mm -hmm. you have to be real. Like mm -hmm. we're raising a family, this, that, this, that, this, that, yeah. like you have to be completely open with your partner. Yeah. And if you're not going to accept that, then what's the relationship for? Like, mm -hmm. what is the point here? Yeah. Um, I have another tangent I could go off there, but I'm not gonna. So consensual non-monogamy and i think we mentioned it last time it's a really appropriate term for polyamory mm -hmm. polyamory has kind of got it's not like the ethical slut yeah. and like you know well it's, it's got this though i mean basically consensual non-monogamy is the umbrella term and uh polyamory is one of the types of consensual non-monogamy um personally i'm for a long time i haven't really been polyamorous but for many for all of my adult life, I've been non-monogamous. What else is in the umbrella? Um, so um, swinging, swinging, very different in key ways from polyamory. <laughs> um, an open relationship, which is also kind of a vague umbrella term. I kind of like that term <laughs> for like myself. Too, right? I like those. I like the vague, open sort of. <laughs> there was this uh, meme about like your Facebook choose your relationship status, and it's got like fifty things like <laughs> open, but I'm not sure we agree on what that means. <laughs> open, but like <laughs> all these different. I'll, I'll try to send it to you. That's hilarious. Yeah, it was really accurate of all things like uh, divorced, but not sure how long it's going to last. Mm -hmm, like we're separated, mm -hmm. but for how long? Like all mm -hmm, these different things. Mm -hmm. so, so, okay, okay, we got polyamory, swinging, open relationship. Anything um, else? Yeah, there's, um, well, there's don't ask, don't tell, mm -hmm. um, which is another framework for how to do it. That's, I, I think that it can work for people, but I think that's the least fulfilling and interesting as far as I'm let's concerned. Let's get into each one individually. First, let's okay. just cover what's under okay. the umbrella. Um, cuckolding is cuckolding. another. Cuckolding, okay. Um, Cucks. And gosh, what else? 
I never knew what that meant until Trump used it. Oh, did he? Yeah. <laughs> okay. I never knew what that term was. Oh, yeah. 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 I got, I'm not thinking of, there There may be a few others I'm not thinking of in the moment. Okay. So let's just talk about the general concept of consensual non-monogamy for a yeah. minute. So let's break it down. Consensual mm-hmm. means everyone's consenting. Yes. There's nothing being hidden. Right. There's no lying. Mm-hmm. There's, I'm imagining open communication, unless possibly it's in the don't ask, don't tell right. category. Yeah. I like to believe healthy relationships have very open and authentic mm-hmm. communication. Mm-hmm. I've always kind of liked the idea of a don't ask, don't tell policy, but mm-hmm. I don't think it works. It can work for, for certain yeah. couples. I I wouldn't want to hide or keep secrets or, but you know, if I have, like I, I'm thinking of a couple right now and- it seems to work for them. And, you know, it's, it's not, it's, if it works for them and they're both genuinely fulfilled and happy with it, then okay. I just had an astrologer leave. We just had a long conversation ah. about Vedic astrology. Cool. And I, yeah, after that conversation, I was like, yeah, it probably depends on where their planets are, and which house, <laughs> you know, and, you know, a lot to do with, yeah. uh, so, so don't ask, don't tell is exactly what it sounds like. Don't yeah. ask, don't tell. I personally don't like that because, when I find connection in another human being, I, mm-hmm. I experience joy right. and I want to share it. Yeah. And same. that to me is like, I want in the same vein, like my wife and partner does not consider herself anything but monogamous. And okay. I'm always like, just try it. You know, like if mm. you ever meet someone, I want you to try it. Cause I want to feel that joy that you're, mm. you might feel from it. Yeah. yeah. And she legitimately believes it's not there for her. She just has mm. everything for me. And I mean, we got kids too. So there's a lot yeah. maybe down the line, but yeah. Okay. So that's don't ask, don't tell. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, let's let's go with uh, open relationship next. Yeah. So that one, like I said, is a really vague umbrella term that covers anything and everything and um, whatever you want to do or you can always use that term. So open relationship might be maybe people have an agreement that if somebody's traveling, they can hook up with people while they're traveling mm. or the person and or the person at home can hook up with people. Um, or it may be, that makes sense. it like might, that. it might look like polyamory. It might look like swinging or, you know, it's just open relationship is literally just anything pretty much that's not monogamy as long as it's consensual. As long as it's consensual, mm-hmm. meaning it's been communicated beforehand. Yes. Yeah. And, and everybody knows the the main, you know, if if there's like a main primary person, they know and they're totally cool with it. Or um, and, and, and there are a lot of times when people are not totally cool with it. And that's a lack of sovereignty. And that's another aspect of sovereignty mm-hmm. and non-monogamy. But um, and also the people who people are hooking up with, they know. They know that you already have another relationship or a few relationships or whatever. There's a polyamory subreddit on Reddit. Uh-huh. And I remember fe- seeing a really good chart once, mm. which it's just like uh, how like a chart, a flow chart for mm. like, do I communicate it or not or whatever mm. based on your agreements. And then <laughs> another another framework <laughs> for kind of creating your web. Of polyamory, mm-hmm. so you know who to tell. Yeah, <laughs> you know who yeah. you're supposed to talk to. It's like, okay, if it's within two degrees of connection, then you tell them. If not, you know. Yes, <laughs> totally. Yeah. yeah, it's complicated. It, it is, and it's a lot of. Excuse my French. It's a lot of fucking work. Too. Yeah, especially I think polyamory because, like, polyamory is about having also um, potentially romantic relationships with people, and um, you know, whereas swinging. Like poly- polyamory, especially a lot of people nowadays, um, 
not being into hierarchical relationships and polyamory, it's, there are so many relationships to tend to, and sometimes equally in someone's mind, whereas swinging is very different because swinging really protects the couplehood and, um, highly, highly prioritizes that relationship. Mm. And, um, uh, should I share a little bit more about Well, so how does that how does that not happen in an open relationship? Um or does it? It can. That's what I'm saying. Like open relationships such a vague umbrella term. Okay, it's a lot it's really of like possibilities. if someone identifies with that term, you really have to ask them what that means for them in their relationship. So would you say you could have polyamory within an open relationship? For like sure. you have a primary. Yeah. And that's mm-hmm. a, like the terminology, right? Within yeah. polyamory, you have a primary yeah. partner. That's like, in some senses, you have an open relationship with that partner. Mm-hmm. And then you have everything else going on, which mm-hmm. is polyamory. Yeah. 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 So for example, maybe somebody has an open relationship and um, they have a polyamorous partner outside of that relationship where it's really a romantic thing, but maybe they also uh do swinging with their partner. And in that context, they're not going to be cultivating romantic relationships with people. Um, sometimes there'll be friendships. A lot of times you'll see couples or groups who are really close friends. They would get together with each other a lot, but, but there's, there's not really a lot of romantic relationships happening with swinging. It's just fucking. Yeah. And like I said, friendship. Um, well, so can you yeah. have swinging without sex? Uh, I don't know many swingers who have swinging without sex. Yeah. It doesn't sound like, you <laughs> I mean, that that's kind of the all. point. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're really into the sex part. That's kind of the point. Yeah. So swinging is switching partners. Yes. Yeah, so, so a lot of, a lot of times what that looks like is couples usually are always play together. Um, whereas in polyamory, people are going off by themselves a lot of the time. Um, although, you know, of course you can have group play or threesomes or things like that as well, but just with swinging, it's really like, um, yeah, a lot of the time you're just kind of, it's two couples swapping partners, um, in the same room or different rooms. Oh, (laughs) uh, in the same room. Uh, it doesn't have to be in the same room, but a lot of people like it in the same room. So is there a correlation between swinging and cuckolding? Because cuckolding is mm-hmm. like when I guess you get off by knowing. Um, explain what cuckolding is. So cuckolding <laughs> is um, when a man enjoys watching his yeah. lady, um, be sexual with other people. And that requires the man to enjoy it. Yeah. Like not he en- just it not right, happening without, right. Like he, yeah. it is, he's getting off on it's it consensual. too. Yeah. Not even just consensual. Cause there are a lot of men who are like, sure, that's fine. But there are some men who are like, wow, this is really fun for me too. Like I am really enjoying this myself, like yeah. watching this. And then also, especially, um, it can kind of go to a, another level with cuckolding where, um, the woman might even be, um, you know, chastising her primary partner or being like, you know, he's fucking me better than you do, or look at his big dick. It's kind of like, part of it. there, there can be, um, this sort of like humiliation aspect or like an, a, a sort of a dom energy, um, that the man really likes. And that 
is the man owning his sexuality, his sovereignty over sure. like, that doesn't yeah. affect him. Well, it it affects him in for for whatever reasons. People have different reasons. Not only, I mean it it affects him but in a positive way. And I think, you know, one one reason that can happen um so often in when there's power dynamics and sex, the person who likes to be submissive and be overpowered, it's because oftentimes in their daily life, they feel like they're mm-hmm. really in control. They're really in power. Maybe they are in high power demanding situations. Yeah. yeah. And they just love to just surrender and even have, you know, especially if people, if they have like people they work with who are like propping them up all the time, it can be nice to just have somebody just like making you feel small because have them pee on you (laughs) potentially. (laughs) And so that's kind of entering into BDSM Mm -hmm. and the whole dominatrix culture. I don't know. Is dominatrix part of BDSM? Absolutely. Yes. Yes. So that leads into that. I remember I had a girlfriend once where she triggered my jealousy like I hadn't Mm. felt since high school. I thought I was over it. And I realized later that specifically with her, I don't know if I have felt that I was into the cuckolding thing of it. I I thought about it later. I'm like, wow, I would have loved to Mm. watch that. Uh And like I realized it later, like that was part of where these triggers came from. Uh, Because I wasn't acknowledging a part of my like sexual truth. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's like one that got away, I guess, because Mm -hmm. I don't think I'm as into it with my wife now. It can be, it can really vary. You know, all of my partners in the past, I loved being submissive and I liked them to be dominating. That was like huge for me. And then with this partner, it just doesn't really do anything for me. Like To be submissive? Yeah. I mean... Uh, maybe a little, but like when he, I don't know, he'll initially it was even hard for him to do that. Cause he was like, I don't really want to, you know, be in, you know, like he likes the idea of us being equals and mm-hmm. he's like, I don't know about, yeah, and he's much yeah. younger too. Mm-hmm. And so I think, and, and also he just, you know, we met when he, we, we got together when he was 24 and he actually hadn't had a lot of alternative sexual experiences or, you know, when I introduced him to, consensual non-monogamy, you know, you can see the little, (laughs) but initially he was like, Oh, I don't know. Like my, you know, like my only experience with this is cheating and I've not, not him, but just watching men and his family. He's originally from Haiti and in that culture, it's a lot more okay for men. It's kind of more expected that men are going to cheat, but women don't get to. And he's like, it doesn't seem, so it took a while, you know, for, for him to even wrap his mind around it. I think that's a good point to acknowledge here is that in a lot of cultures, it's just brushed under the rug. Yes. Human nature and generally speaking, but a large part of it is not monogamous. Right. And yeah. you read Sex at Dawn by mm-hmm. Chris Ryan, mm-hmm. it lays it all out. Yeah. And there's historical anthropology, anthropological mm-hmm. evidence to suggest yeah. like, where does monogamy come from? Why do we think we need to own our partner? Yeah. And why is our own well-being attached to what they do with yeah. their own autonomous decisions of their body. Totally, totally, totally. (laughs) And so, all right. So we've introduced what consensual non-monogamy is, what it can look like. Let's talk about why it would be practiced. Okay. Let's talk about why we get into it. So cheating is the perfect segue. Yeah. 
most people only understand what cheating is. Yeah. You don't do that. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it's bad. And mm-hmm. it's often c- contained with deceit yes. and lies and untruths. Yeah. And potentially health risks. And yeah, not to mention. Yeah. Uh, yet we have this innate desire mm-hmm. to be more sexually active with other people. Not everyone, um, yeah. maybe not my wife, but I know I do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm in a moment. Of, of my life where I've got kids, I've got a business I'm starting. So I'm, I'm focused my sexual energy sure. that those are my boundaries. Yeah. That those are what I'm working with. Um, but that's not to say I don't see things for what they are. Mm-hmm. And fortunately I have a great sex life with my wife. Yay. So like, luckily there's that. And mm-hmm. I feel completely open to sharing things with her. Mm-hmm. And I notice a lot of times when I share my fantasies, mm-hmm. they kind of go away. Yeah. When I share them during sex with her, then mm-hmm. I suddenly realize, oh, I don't really need that fantasy mm-hmm. so much. Mm-hmm. Yet, without ever talking about it, I'm going to repress it. Yep. And it's going to be something I'm going to begin to resent you for right. as my partner right. because I don't feel comfortable sharing it with you because maybe of how I think you're going to react, mm-hmm. which doesn't even mean you're going to react that way. Mm-hmm. But I'm scared of it. Mm-hmm. And so I'm repressing that truth of mine, even if I don't really need to have that threesome, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. I just need to share it. Yeah. And then it suddenly yeah. goes away. So anyway, maybe it doesn't go away. Mm-hmm. And so then you're left with a, well, I love you and you love me and a relationship we're supposed to like prop each other up. Right. You know, pop culture kind yeah. of makes it about like, oh, you're eventually in 20 years, you're going to hate each other and you're always going to complain about each other. And listening to this great podcast with this divorce, divorce lawyer, mm-hmm. what other relationships do we have where we're encouraged to hate the other person after a while, uh, oh, hate the other yeah, thing, yeah. like a dog? Right. Do you ever get sick of your dog after 18 years? Right. No. Right. Right. <laughs> Yet your wife, it's okay to be like, yeah. oh, my wife, you yeah, know, the ball totally. and chain right. back home. Right. Like f- suddenly, like, what's that all about? Yeah. So we're encouraged into monogamy from whatever sketchy historical backgrounds. Mm -hmm. And then our pop culture encourages us to just find dissent and dissidence within these relationships. So claiming our sovereignty within relationships is the first step. And then naturally Mm -hmm. we're going to realize we need to claim our sexual sovereignty Mm -hmm. because chances are you didn't get it out when Mm -hmm. before. I mean, I say get it out and even that's kind of not the right term. No, that's it. I mean, exactly. Like I met my partner when he was 24. It's like, I'm not going to ask a 24 year old to forgo sex with everybody else for the rest of his life. Like, can you think of, I mean, we probably many of us can think of important sexual experiences we had with various people after the age of 24 that were part of our path, you know, but I do, I just, I just want to take a moment, um, to, I do want to honor the fact that, you know, monogamy is right for some people. And, um, I, when I was younger, I really thought that everybody was naturally non-monogamous and that if they weren't, it was just due to our societal programming. Mm -hmm. And then I got into Helen Fisher's work a little bit where she talks about chemicals in the brain. And I started realizing, you know, I think actually some people are genuinely like geared towards that. And so in our conversation, just because it can be so chargy for people, uh, I do just want to honor the fact that, yeah, perhaps like your wife, you know, there are folks for whom I don't think there, I think tons and tons of people are doing it because of societal programming. But then I think there are people who are genuinely like 
that's just how they're wired. I agree. And like, once again, it could be where the stars were when you were born, but Mm -hmm. even in my case, I know monogamy is healthier for me Mm. than having all this like unrestrained freedom. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Okay. And maybe one day we'll explore it again when there's Uh more space. But I mean, when I had all the space in the world, all the freedom, like I couldn't handle it. I didn't Mm. do it right. I would end up just going abstinent and celibate for a while because that was Mm -hmm. the only way I could like Uh stay focused on what I needed to do. Mm -hmm. So yeah, by no means are we saying in this conversation, that like you non-monogamy is like the right way to go mm-hmm. no mm-hmm. what we are trying to say though is that it is it can be valid yeah and it's the right way for some people you know for myself or or different times in our lives can can be the case too like um for myself i realized um also, I would say related to an experience smoking ganja at the age of 19, like you shared, um, I realized that um, I I was in love with two people and um, and I genuinely was. And I and I this was like in the late 90s. So the word polyamory had only been coined not long before that. And and it was like a couple years later that I ran across that word. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is a thing. There's people like me. <laughs> and I, I genuinely am geared that way ever since then. Um, and basically what happened was I cheated on somebody around that time. And I knew that was such an important part of my spiritual path, liberating me and helping me. And I, that's kind of a, a little story I can or don't need to go into, but basically I just realized like, um, really liberated me in so many ways sexually. And And from that point on, I was like, well, I don't want to have to sacrifice my sexual health path and well-being. I I am so glad I, I, I didn't miss out on this because this was huge for my sexual liberation and my sovereignty as a human. But at the same time, I don't want to lie to people. So from now on, I'm just going to tell people up front that I might want to be with other people. And then when I ran across the word polyamory, I was like, oh, Yes, it was really affirming. So you figured that out at like 19 or a few years ago. Yeah, that's cool. And then my relationships have always been non-monogamous. And it was always my idea. And there are definitely issues with, you know, that I've run into because of that. Um, And having to teach everybody how to do it. And then they all make the same mistakes. And then, but then with, with my partner at this point in my life, I was like, kind of wanting to widen my dating pool because if you're only okay with being with people who are non-monogamous, it's a tiny percent of the population, especially if you're looking for like a long-term relationship. And I got to the point where I was like, you know, I think I could be monogamous for a while. Like I'm not going to commit to lifelong monogamy, but maybe a couple years, five years, maybe 10 years or something. Like I could go for a while and I don't want to do it with another person who it's their first time. Mm. And so when I met my partner, he was just so amazing. And I was like, okay, well, I guess this is a, this is, we're doing it. And I would, and I told him I'll be monogamous as, as long as we need. And as long as I can, and I think I can be a, that for quite some time, you go explore if you want to. And look, because at some point I'm probably want to, I'm probably going to want to be non-monogamous again. And it would be great for both of us if you have some experience with it and you understand that 
it's, you don't need to feel this threat of loss and things like that. And, um, and so for the first year, maybe two, he, he did not explore. And then at some point he started exploring and then he had a, f- a few different lovers, like kind of serial uh, lovers. And then at some point he was like, you know, I think I'm ready if you want to go outside the relationship. And, um, that was maybe a couple years ago now, a year, at least a year, maybe a couple years. And I still haven't just because I don't even tend to feel like inspired, I guess, to go outside the relationship very much. Um, but just what's important to me too, and, and maybe even more so is just the knowledge that like, it's my body, it's my energy. It's, you know, and I, I can do what I want with that. Um, as long as I'm being honest, I'm not hurting anyone. And I want that for you too. It's your body, it's your energy and us just supporting each other and being open. If it's desired, that's really fulfilling for me. That right there is the key thesis Mm. of non-consensual, excuse me, consensual non-monogamy right there. Mm -hmm. Your body, my body, why would we ever try to control someone else's body? That's like the antithesis of sovereignty right there. Mm -hmm. It's like, yes. And, and a lot of people, um, like I said, so yeah, because it goes both ways. A lot of people need non-monogamy to be sovereign. Whereas a lot of other folks are giving away their sovereignty in order to be non-monogamous. So that's, yeah, the other side of it. When I met my wife and when I met, you know, quite a few girls in that era, my day one, it would always be like, I'm not monogamous. Mm -hmm. Good. And by the end of the day, they would have a feel for me as an authentic human being. Mm -hmm. Because at the time I was vulnerable. I was, you know, I was a, a man who wasn't like other men, mm-hmm. especially traveling through cities and mm-hmm. South America and being anywhere but here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it was like a breath of fresh air. Yeah. And so they'd hear that. And then by the end of the day, they would be shocked that they would want to see me again. Mm-hmm. Cause like normally I would never consider seeing someone that didn't want a long-term relationship and get married and do mm-hmm. all the things, mm-hmm. but they got a glimpse that you can relate. Yeah. You can just relate. Yeah. And I had boundaries up at the time. I wasn't having on sex with people so mm-hmm. that probably helped that they mm-hmm. knew that sure but i when i met my wife it was like so it's like is this a, you know are you cool with moving forward you know mm-hmm. are we gonna keep hanging out like yeah and i'm like i'll tell you what's happening she's like yeah we'll see how i feel we'll see yeah. how it makes me feel and uh she's heard about so many different girls over the years it's like mm-hmm. crazy there's like a list but uh Never before we ended up having a a child, we never like really went through it. Like Mm -hmm. me just being free. And I was like, it was a verge. It was a mix of like fear Mm -hmm. of hurting her. Yeah. And also like, do I want to do something with someone else Mm -hmm. or not? And like at the time I had many opportunities because I was traveling Mm -hmm. and she was over there and I was over there and, Mm -hmm. you know, so I I did what felt right. I think I did act a little out of fear at times Mm -hmm. and maybe that's for the best, but, Mm -hmm. uh, and so now here we are and there are still moments where something I'll meet someone and mm-hmm. we'll have the process again and she'll be able to recognize triggers. Mm-hmm. She'll be able to recognize like how she's responding mm-hmm. to some part of, I guess it's ego being like hit the programming. Yeah. Like being questioned. Yes. And it's like, yeah. 
where most of us come from in our culture is like, you, you know, your partner doesn't have right. other love interests. Mm -hmm. There's nothing else. Yeah, yeah. And for some reason, if they do, we get like emotionally affected by it. So yeah. we've been in a great process over the years because of my inclination to consensual non-monogamy, even though we haven't been non-monogamous at all. Mm -hmm. But because of that, I bring it up and like, I can own it now. I don't have any fear of telling her anymore okay. and she's more comfortable receiving it. Okay. So we've not only gotten stronger as a couple, thanks yeah. to it, yeah. we have also got claimed more sovereignty over ourselves and our emotions mm. and yes. our reactions. Totally. Yeah. So that's, mm -hmm. I think, just an important part to note, like mm -hmm. whether you're going non-monogamy or not, learning how it works yeah. and to have the difficult, oh, yeah. bring up the difficult conversations mm -hmm. is such an important step for growth. Yeah. There's so much um, that even if a couple wants to be monogamous, that they can learn from non-monogamy, like, um, you know, it's okay if somebody feels some attraction for somebody else. That's actually pretty normal, very common, you know, and, you know, my partner is my best friend. Like I tell him everything and he tells me everything and, and I wouldn't want him to feel like he had to, um, even if we were monogamous, I wouldn't want him to feel like he had to keep things secret, you know, so it doesn't hurt my feelings. And I understand why people get their feelings hurt. I mean, it's a weird thing for me. I just don't see it the way most people do. It's like for most people, it's like, there's this one thing that you only do with this one other person and, you know, sex. And for me, that's not like, and that's like what, what's special about your relationship that isn't like your relationship with anyone else. But for me, like I love sex, I value sex. It's certainly special, but for me, what makes, what, what's really like makes my relationship with my partner special is like, who's going to be there for me if I'm sick? Who am I going to be there for if they're sick? Who am I spending my holidays with? Who am I making life choices with? You know, those are the things that feel to me like reserved for our very special relationship. And I think that's why a lot of cultures in the world, including ours, have made marriage like a sacred pact. Mm. I think it comes from a place of like survivability, mm -hmm. you know, like we can just do things better when we have a committed pair. Yeah. Like we're on the same team. Mm -hmm. And that goes back to what we we're saying earlier. For some reason, our culture doesn't promote being on the same team with your partner. Yeah. yeah. It's like, oh no, they're not supposed to do this. And, yeah. you know, they're going to start bothering you and all this, this all this stuff. So when you're on the same team, you yeah. can thrive together. Yeah. You can, I, I wouldn't be thriving the way I am right now if it weren't for mm -hmm. being in a very committed relationship. Yeah, <laughs> it's true. Yeah. Thanks to monogamy. Yeah. Well, and even, I mean, and that's one, uh, big misunderstanding and, and I'm, I'm not saying you are misunderstanding, sure. but just out there is that there can still be a ton of commitment, even, you know, devotion with non-monogamy. More. Yes. Because it requires so much. <laughs> you have to face your fears mm -hmm. to share things. Mm -hmm. You have to communicate. Yeah. You have to learn a lot. Yeah, you really do. Yeah. And like yeah. I had a partner once. It was like a year long relationship. It was a full time job. Mm. It was a full. So that's wow. why we broke up. Wow. We needed to do other things. And that's partly why I'm not polyamorous. Um, I don't have the the time if Got nothing else things to, do. to to do all the relationship tending whereas if it's a friend with benefits or you know someone you know that you have an enjoyable one night with or whatever it's just 
it doesn't impact your life in the same way. You know, people who are doing polyamory, they've got the spreadsheets of calendars. And just they've got <laughs> nothing else to do with their time. So you you would say you're in an open relationship. Yeah, that's yeah. that's a word. That's a word that I like. Yeah. yeah, and I think this is just the key point of what we're trying to say here with consensual non-monogamy is. Mm -hmm. It does not devalue the relationship you have oh, with your partner. No, and my argument is it not. makes it stronger. Yeah, it's like, absolutely. That was so interesting for me to realize that, you know, earlier on when I was newer to it, that when I would go and have experiences with other people and, and I would value them and they were beautiful, I would feel even closer to my person I was in love with at that time. Yeah. It just really reinforced, you know, it's like not to belittle the experiences with others, but that was my experience over and over as I just felt like closer to my partner. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I, that's one reason I wanted my partner now to have some experience with it before I started going outside the relationship. So he could have that experience of like, Oh yeah, that's, I don't need to be afraid of losing her. And, you know, there are so many people who are cheating on their partner and there are so many monogamous relationships where they lose the person to somebody else. It actually makes it less likely that you're going to lose the person to somebody else because you don't have to decide. Mm -hmm. You don't have to decide this relationship or that one. You can. Isn't that weird? Have it like all. Ultimatums. Like yeah. where, do, where do we create these from? Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. So um, we talked about boundaries uh, in the beginning, like mm -hmm. claiming your sovereignty. We talked about, we're talking about non uh, consensual non-monogamy mm -hmm. what else could fall under the umbrella of sexual sovereignty, sovereignty? well <clears throat> excuse me um just going back to those sexual scripts oh yeah it's like i cannot tell you how many women and men and non-binary people i work with who are literally just enacting the exact same script like they tell me the exact same stuff and this is across the generations you know i thought it would be better with younger women or men but and it is a little bit it is a little bit but still it's it's so ingrained and like um women and people who've been socialized as female can really gain sovereignty by understanding that they have ownership over their own bodies. That's something that I really had to learn and Ganja really helped that. Um, and, um, there are women who go their whole lives without learning that. Um, and that's an example, especially swinging. There's a lot of pressure for women to hook up with the, the other dude, you know, um, there's a lot of pressure, like the husband wants to hook up with the other wife. And so a lot of pressure on the women uh, to just have sex just when they don't want to mm -hmm. also a lot of pressure on them to have sex with each other. And they may or may not be attracted to women. Whereas oh. weirdly, there's a lot of homophobia towards male on male sex. So that's too <laughs> bad, but, um, but it's okay for the women. Yeah. yeah it's like, Pushing. there's, there's so much sovereignty that, that women are missing out on sexually because mm. they literally don't understand that they have this ownership over their own bodies and they've just been programmed to just submit, submit men and people socialized as male. 
like we touched on a little bit before, um, also are acting out these sexual scripts. There's a lot of, um, more I could say about that. We didn't touch on before a lot of fear of rejection, them feeling like they have to be the ones to put themselves out there. Um, although fortunately that is really changing. I mean, that's, you know, a lot more women and, and girls, these days are feeling comfortable, like being the initiator and, and we're all kind of getting away from all that pressure being on men, but just, you know, as far as, um, men, um, I think even just the way people are, I would say the majority of people in our culture are having like mediocre sex at best. Yeah. So many people are having bad sex and it's just like, they're watching it on TV. They're watching it in movies. They're watching it in porn. It's just like they're watching sex on TV. Well, sure. Oh, <laughs> oh tons you mean like of, a, a Netflix like, series like, or something? Like, yeah. Like, like in shows, you know, in TV shows. Right. <laughs> but you know, just like there'll be a sex scene and the sex scenes. Oh my gosh. They're all almost always so bad, yeah. but it's just like, you know, it's just like, you know, first they just rip each other's clothes off and then there may be like some, you know, and especially, well, I love the passion, but it's like, it's like, it's not all about sucking and fucking. I guess now I'm thinking of porn. It's like so many people are having such bad sex because they're just enacting what they see instead of listening to their bodies. and like, Oh, what does my body want? They don't even conceive of like, um, maybe I want to be, you know, kissed and licked on the back of my neck. But yes. once, you know, so, so even just by the bad sex people are having, they're not in touch with their sovereignty. It's like, it's like men are just like, know this very, very limited, uh, all people know this very, very limited amount of sexual activity and pleasure you can have and create. Yeah. And it's like, they're just doing that same thing over and over and over, not listening to like, Oh, what if I wanted to, um, do this or, you know, not listening yeah. to their bodies, not in touch with their bodies. And two things I want to say on that. One of them, I think I'm already forgetting, but the first is uh, testosterone. Mm. I'm having a guest come on next week to talk about testosterone. Mm -hmm. It's been a theme that's coming up. I see a lot online. There's mm -hmm. like a renaissance of uh, mm. not like misogyny masculine, mm -hmm. but like a we live in a culture, we eat foods with, you know, the seed oils and mm. we don't get enough sunlight and yeah. we don't do enough upper body workouts and we don't eat enough uh, red meat and eggs and all the mm. things mm. where men don't have the same levels of testosterone as they used to. Mm. And there's a lot of info out there. I don't need to get into the details, but there's a lot of people out there like going like, hey, you know, mm. come on, men, let's get mm. more testosterone. Mm. And since I've started realizing what testosterone feels like because mm. i always knew what it felt like until actually oddly i went vegan yogi <sighs> pretty hardcore for a while and mm. I, I lost my testosterone i didn't know mm -hmm. what was wrong yeah and then when i came back i realized what it was again mm. and um i recognize it translate into the bedroom 100 mm -hmm. mm -hmm. and i can like ugh, like my body is like ready and mm. That's not to say like, I'm not just wanting sucking and fucking, mm -hmm. but it's like full body mm -hmm. ready for this, yeah. you know? And yeah. so, uh, yeah, when I hear that, you know, listen, like let your body decide what's going to, what it's going to be. Like, maybe mm -hmm. I don't need to come tonight, mm -hmm. you know, right. maybe exactly. the sensuality exactly. is enough. Yeah. Eat some mushrooms before, you yeah. know, like maybe that'll yeah. do it. Yeah. Uh, and not having these expectations of where it goes. Absolutely. Oh my gosh. People would be having so much better sex if they would just 
take the focus off the orgasm and put the focus on pleasure in each moment. Connection. And connection. So all that to say, but however, Mm. when you got kids, Mm. you got time for make each other come like yeah. that's just it sure, that's all the energy sure. you got time for before it's time to go to bed because you're exhausted with these young <laughs> yeah absolutely and it's Especially kind of little. A, yeah. it's kind of a fun part of the relationship i guess like mm-hmm. we before we were married it was just like wild all mm-hmm. over the place mm-hmm. you know everywhere was, mm-hmm. now it's just like okay like i'm tired to try to do this so maybe tomorrow and let's try we need to connect you know, uh-huh. let's do this uh-huh. and you know mm-hmm. You, mm-hmm. you, you give and take mm-hmm. there, yeah. but it also is just part of the relationship building. And mm-hmm. yeah, so I'm saying it's, uh, there's definitely, you know, concessions to be made sometimes where it's like, well, what are our goals here? We want to connect sure. and we want to have that pleasure and the energy yeah. it offers our bodies after. But you're coming from a place of having the knowledge and experience of something more, much more expansive. And so many people are not consciously making that choice. It's just that that's all they know. That's true. That's true. Mm-hmm. That's very true. And yeah, I mean, I think there's might be a reason why sucking and fucking is the main thing everyone's watching or mm. whatever, like imitating mm. because it does like tick all the boxes for men, for, for people with penises. <laughs> oh, but when I say sucking, I also refer to, okay. to, yeah, I don't see that really in porn. Not, I don't yeah. watch a ton of porn. I'm not a super visual person, but I don't even just mean porn. I yeah. just mean like sometimes oral sex just gets things done faster. Yes. I mean, oh, reciprocal, yes. Reciprocal. Sure. Yes, things. yes, yes. Mm-hmm. For sure. So, what else? Mm. Uh, well, I mean, um, yeah, I mean, there's tons and tons to say about heteronormativity, which is yeah. what I'm referring to. Um, but also, um, you know, as far as people having non-hetero experiences, um, it's, you know, so many people um, struggle still, even nowadays with living their life authentically and and having that sovereignty of like, yeah, I'm a man and I'm attracted to men. You know, it's much, much, much better than it was in the late nineties when I came out as queer. Mm -hmm. And back then we queer was still a pejorative. We have, you know, reclaimed that word and I love it. But back then all I could say was bisexual, but that didn't even really fit for, that wasn't even what I felt anyway, but, um, and, 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 and really all these labels, I said to you before, like, I'm not even that into labels. If somebody were to ask me like, what's your sexual orientation? I would say sexual, like that's the <laughs> most true for me, Let's but it, go. it also, no. that's my orientation. <laughs> <laughs> I just mean, I just mean, I wouldn't say I'm queer, um, or anything else. Like for me, it's not about the person's genitals, which is when we talk about sexual, sexual orientation, that's mainly what we're talking about. You know, like, Oh, do you like the person who has the same genitals as you or different? Or do you care? And for me, it's like, not about that. I'm just a sexual being and and it's about the person. And so, but if I just say I'm sexual, it doesn't give any information. Right. So like if a woman is attracted to me, she wants to know if I'm straight or not, then me saying I'm queer can give her information. Or if I, you know, I love to connect with others who are outside of the sexuality boxes. And so saying queer helps me connect with others who are like-minded or have a lot of the same experiences I do or things like that. It's interesting how we have to use labels though. (laughs) Whereas, you know, in, in in real life, it's just nonverbal. Well, 
I mean, that's for straight people though. I mean, I think that you actually do have to communicate literally most women who are not straight think that I'm straight. And if I, um, and, and they may, I've had women tell me they were attracted to me and they never pursued anything cause they just assumed I'm straight. And, um, yeah, I think, uh, it, it can be actually really dangerous. Like people can get their ass kicked. You know, if, if somebody is gay and you feel the chemistry and you think it's going there, you know, um, but the other person's not out, um, they might kick your ass or, um, you know, it's, they're just, it's not safe for, for pe- it's, it's really safe for straight people to approach each other. It's not safe for, all the time for people who aren't straight. But for example, if there was a woman attracted to you and didn't know, were you spending physical time together? Yeah. And yeah. Or, like, or just like, couldn't there be, like, couldn't you give the the bodily signals? Well, I'll tell you Some touch, touch their leg. I'll tell you an experience of mine on the other side of that coin. Okay. So I was in love with my best friend in high school, but I didn't realize it. It did not even occur to me <laughs> at that age. I was still very Christian and my mom could tell and she'd be like, are you sure there's not anything going on with you and Tracy? Like, and I'd be like, what are you talking about, mom? But then like best friend. later <laughs> when I, <laughs> when we were in college, I realized that I, you know, I was saying to myself or I was saying to people like, "Mm, I'm straight, but I just like girls. And then at some point I realized, wait a minute, (laughs) if I like girls, that kind of means I'm not straight. And so that's when I came out to myself and I just like, and then my best friend, she was really like, we were like at this party, we were dirty dancing. She was like being super physically sensual with me and all this stuff. And I just felt like, oh, maybe we're, you know, I felt like we were both in the this same was your best place. Friend? The same yes. Best friend? yes. And other little things had been happening. And so one night, I kissed her on the neck. I started just kissing her neck. We were like laying in bed and I thought we were totally in the same place. And she got so mad and she didn't talk to me for three days. And she was like, and I don't know, I don't know if she really wasn't in that place. And I was just projecting or if she was feeling it, but there's no way that she wants to go there. So it's like, you know, I understand, you know, if you're straight, you might think that you can just do stuff, but you really uh, let so many people who are not straight have had experiences where actually it's really better to, and even just with anybody, of course, you know, looking back, I could have said, is it okay if I kiss you That's really and gotten it, that consent? Right. Um, but I think with like men, for example, it's, it's a lot easier and safer for everybody if I feel into it. And I, I honestly, uh, generally won't ask men for consent to kiss them unless I feel like it is a good idea for some reason, or if there's any, if I, you know, but generally it's like a different dynamic when it's a man than it is with a woman, as far as like, can you just go with it? Or do you actually have to have some communication around it? When I was still I guess playing the game, uh, maybe that's not a game, but for me, it was always like explore the physical, you know, just, you know, see, and then before anything, just a quick conversation. Mm-hmm. Like, Hey, I'm feeling this. Yeah. I'm wanting to do this. Yes. How are you feeling? Yes. Um, 
Sure. That sounds great. I'm glad you asked, yeah. you know, yeah. it makes everyone feel safe. Yeah. Um, yeah. And my experience, I mean, I'm not talking about, are you gay or straight? I guess I'm just talking about communication here, but like the earlier it happens, the more risk there is of just like getting lost in words. Yeah. You know, words are like powerful yeah. and it could be good or bad. Well, and even just asking someone like, especially men, especially in most of the country, if a man were to just ask another man, like, can I kiss you without knowing if they're straight or not, literally they could get their ass kicked. Even if that person isn't straight, even if they're genuinely is chemistry. But so if you know, if you have a label or, you know, you meet at a gay bar where you know that Mm. people are probably going to be gay, you know, if there's some context or there's a label or something, then you know, you're, safe to ask the question, can I kiss you? Yeah. Interesting. That's a good point. Yeah. I celebrated my 21st birthday in a gay bar Ah. and many gay bars that, that era, because Mm -hmm. a lot of my friends were gay Mm -hmm. and they always laughed because they were like waiting for me to come out of the closet. (laughs) (laughs) But it it brings me up, brings me a point, brings me to a point I wanted to bring up because we live by a, a clothing optional beach Yeah, that is essentially in what used to be considered a very gay neighborhood. Yeah. Used to be considered a very gay beach. And maybe it still is. I don't know. But I go there in the morning and I know I have fans Mm -hmm. of my same sex Mm -hmm. of men. Mm -hmm. I know I have Mm -hmm. fans. I'm always there naked doing yoga, working out. Like Mm -hmm. I go all out. Mm -hmm. And I used to be self-conscious about it until Mm -hmm. I realized everyone loves it. Yeah. Good. Because they all come up to me and like they want to talk to me. Like not all. I don't know. I'm saying they. But like Mm -hmm. I... I've been getting closer and closer with naked gay men on the beach mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. there's hugs now. Mm-hmm. I literally felt my penis yeah. touch another penis <laughs> once with a hug. Yep. And, and you live to tell about it. And I'm still here, Kristen. I'm still here. <laughs> but <laughs> the, what I'm trying to say is I've always kind of, I've, I'm not like attracted to men, like on a mm-hmm. sexual level, but mm-hmm. I always like feel like there should always be space for intimacy if I'm feeling, feeling that with someone around someone. And so in these moments, like it feels good to be flesh on flesh with Mm -hmm. these gay guys. And so Mm -hmm. I always wonder, like, I wonder what would happen if we were in a more private place like this. Mm -hmm. Now, I don't know if I would Mm -hmm. ever be in that space or Mm -hmm. create it. I don't have time for that, you know, but I just wonder, like, could this person make me feel comfortable enough for me to be Mm -hmm. a yes? Mm -hmm. Like, Mm -hmm. and would I be sticking mine in or would Mm -hmm. they be sticking their in? Mm -hmm. Like, I don't even know. Mm -hmm. I haven't gone Mm -hmm. down that route. Mm -hmm. I don't know if I Mm -hmm. want to, Mm -hmm. but it always makes me curious just because, I mean, we're talking about the consent. We're talking about kissing yeah. and things like that. I don't yeah. think anyone would try to kiss me, mm-hmm. but I could definitely understand if someone was like, hey, I'm getting the signals. Like you're yeah. being, I don't know. I just being present with you and sure, I'm enjoying sure. it. Well, and, um, you know, kind of just you saying something really uh, about sticking it in. Um, <laughs> Doesn't have to happen. Well, I, I just, it just brings me back to sovereignty with men and these sexual scripts. You know, I've had, plenty of men who are like, you know, I like it when my girlfriend sticks something in my ass. Does that mean I'm gay? You know, and it freaks them out. And I'm like, no, it's not about, it's not about the body parts that feel pleasure. It's about the basically about the genitals of the person you're attracted to. So it doesn't Is matter. That it? Is that what yeah, that's, that's when it, as far as sexual orientation. And, um, uh, although, you know, 
asexual folks are also in there too. And, and that's kind of a different story. Um, cause they're not necessarily attracted to anyone and that's a whole kind choice. of a, a spectrum, but, yeah, yeah. but like, you know, I just, I just want to encourage straight men. Like there are straight men who like things in their ass. There are straight women who like things in their ass. There are gay men who do not want anything in their ass. Mm -hmm. And there are gay men who do like, you know, so it's like, it doesn't matter. Like guys, if you like stuff in your ass, it's okay. Go for it. That is part of your sexual sovereignty. Like you've got a prostate, man. Like there's a G spot. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It's healthy to hit it. Yes. It's it's actually literally healthy for your prostate to be milking and yeah, go for it. I always think about it too, in terms like, I'm like any man, most men, like I like oral sex. Mm-hmm. I'm like, well, if I have a gay guy asking me, mm-hmm. like, why would I not accept that? Yeah. What is the difference here? Exactly. I processed that yeah. for a long time. Good. Still have never yeah. done it, but like, yeah. I've always just wondered like, mm-hmm. why am I saying no? If it's, I mean, maybe there's some stubble, you know, <laughs> or maybe there would be some feelings, but I would imagine they'd be like better at it mm-hmm. or like a better, like, you know. Yeah, it's some experience. There's so much that we're so heady about when it comes to sex and sex is really the realm of the body. You know, it's like the the head can play a part as far as judgment and fantasy and some and, you know, making choices. But really, sex is like get out of the head. Just let the body take over. And even looking back at like the ancient world, I mean, like ancient Roman. Oh, yeah. The Roman Empire, Greek is like gender or sex was like not even anything it was mainly about who was on top like you would yeah a man would fuck a boy fuck his wife fuck whoever and it was really about who was doing the fucking that was like the big distinguish it wasn't matter if a boy or a girl yeah and also sex with women was kind of seen as dirty and something (laughs) you had to do to procreate you know the the quintessential it depends though because they didn't know all the time they just thought women were like ovens some worked some didn't (laughs) i don't think they knew for a long time what it was that did it well i know i know ancient rome um uh they did believe that sex with women was kind of dirty and it was just what you had to do with your wife yeah and i don't and i'm sure that there were men who didn't feel that way and they actually enjoyed it and why wouldn't and it's just exactly the same as people thinking that sex between men is you know, two men is dirty, whereas actually some men really enjoy it. And there's nothing dirty about that. And there's nothing dirty about men having sex with women. Mm-hmm. You know, it's as long as it's consensual and healthy, et cetera, you know, age appropriate. It's all good. I think this has been very enlightening mm-hmm. for oh, a lot good. of people. Um, is there anything else I think we should cover? Um, I guess I'll just add, you know, I know there's a lot of... Um, misunderstanding, misinformation around gender nowadays. And I think part of that is because we've had sort of this real blossoming, this blooming of gender outside of the boxes, you know, and with people being openly trans, which they haven't been in the past, people being non-binary. We have this amazing word now to describe an experience that we haven't had in the past. Non-binary? Yeah. And what is that experience? Uh, Well, non-binary is another one of those umbrella terms. And it just means that you don't uh, fit neatly in one of the two traditional gender boxes. So for some folks, that means they feel like both genders. Some folks, they feel like neither gender. Some folks, you know, it's like I said, it's an umbrella term. So it kind of varies from person to person. And again, um, 
if somebody asked me about my gender, I would just say I'm a human. I'm a human. Right? (laughs) But again, it doesn't give any information. And so if I had to label myself, I would say I'm under the non-binary umbrella. And specifically, I'm agender because I actually believe gender is a social construct. I don't even believe it's a real thing. And um, I'm kind of like a gender atheist is how I refer to myself. And I support other people in having gender, being gender. I love people claiming their gender, whatever it is. But just for me, I'm just like, it's kind of a made up thing anyway. (laughs) Like I just don't even. How does like male and female in terms of like reproduction play into this gender conversation? Because I know that's a big part of the culture war. And I feel like that's kind of where the misunderstanding happens. Reproduction? Are people thinking that people are going to stop making babies or? Well, no, I mean, they're saying now that like, male-bodied people have can have babies because they can inject them in there but like where would the baby look it up it's weird okay but my point is is i don't (laughs) look it up (laughs) my point is there is like a there's a big misunderstanding between like i mean on the mainstream conversation there's always going to be like polarity right but in this culture war thing there is everything you're talking about which I totally hear and Mm. it makes sense to me because words are silly. We're humans. The body doesn't play in words. That's it. It's as simple as that. Yet the other side of the argument is that you need to have some kind of objective truth in society in order to function. And that number one functionality is reproduction. Keep the species going. And how nature, God intended is male-bodied, female-bodied, have a baby. Right. That keeps the species going. And so I think a lot of the, I don't want to say nuance. I just, there's parts missing here because I do agree that that needs to be acknowledged. Well, we're not in danger of people not making babies. Not yet. No, we're not, we're not going to be in danger. And also non-binary people can still make babies. Gay people can even still make babies. I, I have lesbian friends who... Uh, have a baby from a gay guy because they asked for the sperm, you know, was it a, like an injection or was it like actual yeah. generally? Um, yeah. But I, w- I wonder if our, our truth or whatever that you, you said we have to have a, a social truth or something. I wonder if that instead of reproduction, if it were sovereignty, I wonder mm. how that would go for us because I really, you know, people, People being non-binary, that has nothing to do with making babies. Like I can make, well, I can't make a baby because I have my tubes tied, but uh, there's no danger. I, I honestly, you'll have, I've researched this a ton and I also have a lot of experience with other people outside of the gender boxes, you know, in like real life experience. So um, I just, I will look it up, but I, I just like can't imagine um, there really being any issue. I mean, that's what people said about people being gay and gay marriage. Oh, like, well, you know, we have to have straight people to make the babies. There's tons of people it's, it's who are going to so be making about babies. That when I say objective truth, it's kind okay. of just like, like, what is a woman? And it's like, can be offensive if you don't answer the right way, or if you don't include certain people in that term. And there was that like film where the guy asks all these people, what is a yeah. woman? Yeah. And no one an- can answer it. Yeah. Um, that's kind of what I mean is I do agree with this. I agree with everything we're talking about. Like who cares what you want to identify as like it's be you. The, the amount of social construct 
that is behind the question of what is a woman, um, you know, and, and I think I, you know, it's like, well, obviously we all know that girl babies need the pink blanket and boy babies need the blue blanket. But did you know that in the earlier part of the 19th century from the early 1900s through seems like maybe World War II, pink was the color for boys. It was uh, like a, a baby version of red. I don't think that's what we're talking about, though. But we are. We're talking. OK, well, well, we're talking more about just the core functionality of humans. But I'm saying there's no danger as far as reproduction, where I think people have more of the um, I think there are concerns that we need to look at as a society when it comes to trans folks. And, um, and I think, as I said, there's this blossoming happening. And I think that there are some ethical, moral, medical, et cetera, issues, questions, really questions that we need to kind of think about now that we never thought about before. And I think maybe some of it's happening faster than we can process that's, and answer those questions. True. And I think that is an issue. Yeah, I think it's a really good point. Like all of this kind of, it, it transcends, like the way you and I are talking about it here, it, it transcends kind of like this, this narrative on either side of the spectrum, right? Like it's, it's really just about being you. Yeah. It's about claiming sovereignty over you, yeah. what feels right. And yeah. like the labels and stuff. The only reason I bring it up is because I recognize the importance of labels for just like you're saying, when you meet someone, you, you know, what's your sexuality? Like mm -hmm. sometimes those labels are important. Mm -hmm. and, they they uh, serve a purpose. Yeah. And it's how we, that's how we like organize collectively better. Mm -hmm. And so it's, it's a really interesting time to, to be alive yeah. in that. Yeah. And I, I recognize both sides of this story as important and maybe I'm not communicating it as well as I'd like, but I, we need to be free. Yeah. And we need to claim our sovereignty mm -hmm. in every way possible, even if it's a phase. Mm -hmm. Now, does that mean I think I believe you should go get a medical thing? That's your own. That's your own deal. Yeah. But we need to claim our sovereignty, yet we need to not be too weird so we can continue existing as a society. Well, and I'm someone that likes to get really weird. Yeah. You know, I don't like yeah. boundaries. Yeah, well, I just I, there's so, so much in misinformation and fear mongering around us. And, and I say weird. Excuse me. I don't say weird in the terms of like gender and all that. I say mm -hmm. weird in terms of individuality. Mm -hmm. That's mm -hmm. what I mean. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I, I guess that's the way that's the way I took it. OK, good. Um, well, for anyone listening, <laughs> I'm not trying to call certain people weird. Everyone has the capacity to be very yeah. weird. We love that's weird and Puna. Yeah. <laughs> But just, you know, literally there is so much fear mongering, you know, there's like, and so much misinformation, um, you know, people are like, yeah, children shouldn't be getting surgeries. And it's like, guess what? They're really not. Um, lately the past two, three years, I have been a lot more concerned about what I would call the medical industrial complex because, uh, oh yeah, we talked about know, this last time. It's yeah. like it's like the the answer in Western medicine so often to everything is throw drugs at it, throw surgery at it. Yeah. You know, you got depression, take these drugs. You you yeah, got yes, a back sir. pain, 
get the surgery. So it's not surprising that they're throwing drugs and surgery at trans people because that's what Western medicine does. I'm tired of seeing trans people vilified and made into scary monsters because Western medicine has this approach. And they're doing the same thing, whether you're trans or straight or whatever yes, you want to call exactly. yourself. It's the same thing. Take exactly. the surgery, take the pill. Exactly. <laughs> and, and, you know, so, um, and the commercialization of our health issues and, and our, and everything. So, but the, truth of the matter is, um, and, and that's why I say I'm a, I've been a little nervous because it seems like it's getting a little bit more lax, but up until a few years ago, it was really nobody below the age of 18 was having surgeries. The most medical, I mean, mostly it was like about pronouns, clothes, the, the, the kid being able to just be themselves, you know, and a crucial um, part in development. Absolutely. But, you know, um, the most, the most that would happen and still for the vast majority, this is still true. The most that would happen with anyone under 18 would be puberty blockers. Now, when I was, um, so puberty blockers do what they sound like. They block puberty. Um, and so when I was 10, the doctors realized that my pituitary gland wasn't working and my, uh, it wasn't producing growth hormones. So I had to take injections of growth hormones to be able to hit puberty myself. And, uh, when I was in the hospital, you know, and they were learning about that, this girl next to me was six. She had already started puberty. She started bleeding. She had pubic hair. She'd started getting boobs. They put her on puberty blockers. And that was in the, the mid 80s. And they've been using puberty blockers in situations like precocious puberty, which is what this little girl had. You know, this has been going on for several decades now. This isn't new. Um, and, you know, people are like, well, you know, just accept your body the way it was, you know, it was created that way for a reason. You know what? If I didn't have injections of hormones, I might not have gone through puberty. Mm-hmm. I don't want that. I'm so glad that medically... <laughs> There was intervention for but me. But isn't that a different purpose than what, I mean, I don't know what's actually so happening, but everything purpose, I read about is these teenagers are yeah. having questions about themselves or sexual, which teenagers do. Yeah. And then they're being said, take these puberty bloggers. Okay. No, 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 no. Let me tell you, it's, it's, it's not even Western medicine, although yes, I have my issues there and, and thank you Western medicine for the good stuff too, but you know, <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, it's, it's not parents. It's not drag queens. It's not doctors. None of those people are influencing the kids. The kids are influencing each other. And I, I do think that, um, the same as when it comes to using drugs, the same as when it comes to having risky sex, all the ways or driving too fast, you know, all All the ways could affect your life, all the ways that children or I would say teenagers are a bad influence on each other. I think there could be some, you know, that is where I see the the teens being influenced is by their peers. And I don't think that for the most part, it's any more dangerous than all the ways that we're negatively influenced by our peers at that age. And in some, and of course, in a, and there are plenty of situations where it's actually really positive because it is a good fit for the kid and things like that. Right. But I just want to tell you, Jordan, there is just so, so much fear mongering and misinformation that I feel like it really blocks us as a society from having more fruitful conversations about these matters. Yeah. Yeah. But it's when the topic becomes about like, the state 
like mandating that if a child wants to do something like that or a surgery that the the, the parents don't have to give permission. That's well, kind of the, you know, the the, the reason that I got really interested in doing a lot of research into this is because of my work with teens. And, um, I started realizing there's a huge percentage of trans teens and kids who kill themselves. And, um, you know, my partner, uh, worked at children's hospital in Philly for a couple of years. And about once a month, they had a kid in there, um, just in his kind of wing, who was in there from a suicide attempt because they, um, you know, right, right. You know, uh, I remember I was over there for a few years and that's where I met him. Um, I left, left Pune to go to Philly for a few years for school. And, um, and right before we moved back here, he, he lost, they lost a 12 year old. And then a couple of weeks later, they lost a nine year old. And you know what? Yes. The percentage of teens and children who are trans and who are trying to kill themselves and successfully killing themselves because they're not getting support around their gender identity is alarming. And so I would rather have a kid who, um, again, it's really rare and I hope it, stays that way. Um, you know, that, that I would rather have a kid who maybe changes their mind later on about their, their gender identity, who is alive than to have a dead kid. And has to deal with the consequences just like we all do, whether you're drunk mm -hmm. driving, right. whatever the right. kids convince you to do. See, that's a yeah. really good point. It's yeah. a really good way of looking at it. I think, uh, yeah. I mean, when you look at it that way, it's like, yeah, well, maybe, you know, your parents are very close minded or whatever, or traditional or conservative, and they don't want you to uh, right. do that. And right. some said they commit suicide. When you look at yeah. it that way, that's a really good way of looking at it. it it's like the rate of attempt. Um, I haven't looked at the exact number in a few years, but I'm sure it's similar. Um, it was like 46% of uh trans and non-binary teens have attempted suicide. And if they have just one loving adult in their life who will call them the pronouns they want and let them wear whatever the f funk they want to wear, that number goes down like to 4.6%. I mean, really it's, it's crazy. And, um, you know, there, what I've seen, I know there's this huge narrative about pressure on kids to do this. That's, I've, I've listened to so, so, so many families stories and so many kids and teen stories. And, and it's like most of the time the parents are freaked out. They don't want that for their kid. They're not putting the pressure, but the kid is like insistent, insistent. And there are some things that people look for. It's, it's not like, um, you're just, you know, wake up one day and you're like, I'm trans. And then the doctors are like, okay, it's, it has to be like consistent, insistent, persistent. So, it's, it's over a long period of time and the kid keeps telling you, this is what's true for me. This is what's true for me. They're persistent with it mm -hmm. and they, they're 
you know. And that's something probably missing from the fear mongering narratives where it's like, it's a persistent thing. It's mm-hmm. not just like a go get married in Vegas thing. Right. Where right. it's like, a, yes. I'm going to go to the doctor and cut my penis yeah. off because I think yeah. I'm a girl now. Did you, um, I don't know if you happen to look at those videos. I sent you a couple of links to a kid named Rylan Whittington. And, um, you know, this, the first video is of him as a little person and starting at the age of as soon as he could talk, um, he was born with a vagina and just as soon as he, he could, was born with a vagina and it was, why, why was he a he from the get-go? Wasn't a he from the get-go is a he, but he's oh, a, he. a he now. Yes. Oh, okay. okay. So, um, so he came out, the doctor said, Oh, you have a little girl. As, as soon as he started talking, he was like, I'm not a girl. Like, I don't want to wear this dress. Get this off of me. If you imagine, you know, boys, especially maybe more, um, athletic boys are more not macho, but you know, more masculine boys putting a dress on them. How like, like degrading that might feel that's like what this person was feeling and and his parents are really christian and they were just like yeah no way like there's no we're not gonna like this is totally inconceivable like we can't even wrap our minds around this and then they learned about the um suicide statistics and that's when they started paying attention Mm. so that video um that i sent you um, it, it shows their story. It's about an eight minute video shows their story from when he was really little through till about six, six years old. And then I also sent you a video of Ryland that, um, came out a couple of years ago that shows him now at, I think maybe t- 12 or 14. And you can see he's a boy, like he's a boy. Watch the videos because really? his experience is what I've seen the most of. Um, I think again, when Western medicine gets involved, that is my biggest concern, but can we please stop acting like trans people are monsters because of how Western medicine is handling it? Yeah. I don't even think we is a good term for that Mm -hmm. because I think it's a small population of people. I think most people are pretty accepting. Oh, that's wonderful that you think that. Well, once again, there's mongering on the other side, Kristen. The media mongers on all directions. No, no, no. no. I'm talking about, I'm not talking about the media. I'm talking about, for example, um, individual people who have made comments to me, um, especially on social media. And we all know that people will be a kind of bigger jerk on social media. A lot of those people are trolls. I mean, maybe you know that, but, but a lot but of those people are bots. You, you know, it's, but it's just like, it's a little bit, not naive, but, you know, okay. From your perspective, maybe it seems like a lot of people are accepting, but I, I, like a huge, like we wouldn't be having such issues with suicide if that were true. It's, there are so, so, so many people who are very freaked out by it. I think a lot more people are more okay with people being gay nowadays. And we've come a long way in that regard. And I think real quick, what you're referring to, I think is more like the, the parents not accepting their child being trans as opposed to the parents caring if you're trans or not. I don't think they care about you. You know, there are so many people who are out there trying to, uh, like share their perspective about how trans people are, um, 
unholy or it's on whenever you're online looking at stuff it's even in puna polarizing ideas no, jordan it's all the extremists it's even on coconut wireless but, yeah sure but the extreme people it's i'm not talking about always extreme the people. loudest i can i can show you a conversation that we had on there a, a year or two ago i remember i remember many it of them was, and i saw how you chimed in it was like People are not going, yeah, if you are trans, but go for saying, it. The amount, They're not saying the that. The amount of people saying things like that is not the majority. That's my point. But these were, I, the I mean, people, I don't think they were trolls. No, look it up. There's statistics on this in other contexts. The majority. <laughs> well, I have looked it up. The majority <laughs> are silent on these issues because they don't care. They want to live their life in peace. Uh I, I don't think well, you can argue I, that the majority of people out there are against trans people. I don't think that's fair. I don't think that you can argue that they're for trans people. I think maybe I'm not it would be for. hard I'm saying to. They don't care. Okay. Well, um, I think this is probably something we not, you know, in this exact moment are going to get clarity on. So, yeah. yeah. There was one other thing I wanted to say. When I was like 14 or 15, mm -hmm. my dad was a pastor, we're in church. And mm -hmm. I don't know if it was in church or after church, but I don't know why I, this story stuck with me. Story about twins born, I don't know, boy and a girl, girl and boy, whatever. And there was something with the genitals, yeah. which I, I, I hear is, I've been hearing more and more that is common. Mm -hmm. that there's genital oh. situations oh, where you're yeah. born with both or yep. a little bit, something happened with yep. the chromosomes. This yep. is not out of the norm. Right. Um, which I think gives a very important basis to this whole conversation. Mm -hmm. Recognize that you can't control how you were born. Right. And you can't control what a doctor did to you. Just like I can't control that a doctor cut off my the most right. pleasure part of my penises, yeah. penis, penises. Some people have two penises. It's all over the place. <laughs> yeah, it's all over the place. So yeah. then the doctor cuts one of them or both of them off and says you're a girl instead yeah. of whatever. And so this story yeah. was how um, one of them grew up to be a happy boy or whatever. The other one grew up to be a very unhappy girl and committed suicide. Yep. I remember hearing that yeah. at 14, 15 years yeah. old. I was like, oh my God. Yeah. So I hear you. This mm -hmm. is not a new thing. Mm -hmm. This is something that's been happening a long time. There's a lot. There's a lot of fear mongering about it yeah. online on both sides of it. Mm -hmm. And... Yeah, we're not going to gain clarity, well, but I think less people care than than we think. Will you bring up a, a another topic of sexual sovereignty, which is intersex folks? Mm. And so I, people have no idea. I had no idea how common it is to be intersex until I really started looking into it. So intersex, intersex, intersex. So what that means is, um, you there are several characteristics that, um identify your sex, like biologically. We're not talking about gender. We're not talking about sexual orientation. We're talking about sex. There are several characteristics and so many people I've realized not all the characteristics are just in one box, you know? So for example, you have genitals, the way the genitals look and, um, a common number that you hear for how many intersex people there are is one in 2000, which is about the same number as the number of natural redheads. But that number is only about people who have ambiguous genitalia. So when they, when the baby comes out, stuff's going on with their genitals that the doctors can't say clearly like, Oh, this is a girl or this is a boy. One in 2000. One so in as 2000. many redheads out there have this problem. Think yes. about how many redheads, yes. you know? Yeah. 
that's problem. Excuse me, not necessarily problem. right. Not a problem. Right. Yeah. It's a, it's just the way they are, the way their bodies are, and um, yeah, and a lot of intersex people are like, I don't need you to call it a problem. This is just how my body is made. Um, now there are s- several other factors. For example, chromosomes. Um, you know, a lot of people I think are going their whole lives without even knowing they're intersex because sometimes people don't even ever have their chromosomes tested. Um, you know, a lot of times it may happen if they're wanting to, uh, procreate and, um, they're having issues with that. Um, you know, there's something called, um, Kleinfelter syndrome, which people are like, don't call it a syndrome. You know, um, those folks are like, but, um, it's where there's XXY chromosomes. There's androgen insensitivity syndrome where, um, you, you know, have, um, XY chromosomes, but you don't have receptors for androgen uh, hormones like testosterone. So you got the testosterone, but you don't have receptors. So people with XY chromosomes who are born with a vagina, you saw them walking down the street, you would be like, that's a woman. You know, you also have um, reproductive organs. It's another way that we classify people by sex. Sometimes, you know, there's, I read about this woman who was in her sixties. She was having abdominal pain and, um, they were doing an ultrasound and they realized that she had undescended testes and the, the testes weren't even related to the issue, but she never knew she was intersex. Yeah. 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 And so maybe she had like more testosterone or something. Well, something. Yeah. I mean, um, she, um, so this is intersex by definition here, yeah, by biological. Yes. Okay. Yes. And, and a huge issue in sovereignty is, um, you want to talk about children being, having their genitals mutilated. Let's turn the conversation towards intersex people because they're the ones who are like, Hey guys, please stop chopping our genitals when we're at babies. Birth, yeah. yeah. Like in general. Yeah, not just absolutely. <laughs> like, exactly. Exactly. Circumcision as well. For Isn't sure. It crazy. It is Circumcision literally is so crazy. It's, it's fucking nuts. It is so crazy. It's I don't get it. Insane. How you can be like, yeah, let's strap a cute little baby down and slice their genitals. I have it no idea. It's clean yeah. after millions of years. Yeah. Of right. 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 Yeah. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, you know, vaccines and, you know, all everything. All sorts. Right after they come out of the world. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yes. So, um, and I think also, you know, the, the number of, so when I was looking at, if you take all the characteristics that we look at to categorize sex into consideration, it's way more than one in 2000. A conservative number is like 1% of the population, like one in a hundred. That's a conservative number. I've seen it with a good argument as high as 1.6% of the population, but it's like, that's also just the people that we know of. So like if that woman never had abdominal pain, um, she never would have counted herself among the intersex folks. Not to mention not everyone's born in a hospital. Very true. For it to be registered. Yes, or right. Yeah. yeah. Well, this has been great. Mm-hmm. And I hope it's been enlightening for some people. We covered a mm-hmm. lot of very interesting topics. Yeah. I feel like we crossed a lot of taboos. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, we shed some light on a lot of stuff. Mm -hmm. It's great. Yes. Thanks for coming on. How can people uh, find you or if they mm -hmm. want to work with you? How can how can they get in touch? Well, thanks so much for having me. It's been really fun. And um, yeah, so check out my website. It's kristinogwin.com. It's K-R-I-S-T-E-N-O-G as in George, U-I-N. I'll put that on com. the show notes. Thank you. Dot com. Thank you very much for listening. This podcast is available on all major apps. Please head over and follow there. And if you really like it, leaving a quick review and five stars is super helpful, especially on Apple Podcasts. SovereignStatesOfMind.com is a place you can put in your email to receive things to your inbox every week. These are updates. These are blog posts, anything related to this podcast and the theme of developing Sovereign States of Mind. SovereignStatesOfMind.com. You you can also support the show there by becoming a monthly patron. My name is Jordan Herbs. You can find me on Twitter as Jordan Herbs, J-O-R-D-A-N-U-R-B-S. And I look forward to interacting with you and hearing a bit about your journey. If you're interested in coming on this podcast, don't hesitate to be in touch. Much love. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time. Sovereign States of Mind.